as Christians, are we called to be people of the book or people of science? Okay, I get that's a false dichotomy, but sometimes it's actually not. Sometimes as Christians, we are called to choose between what the Bible says and what science says. Sometimes they just contradict each other. So how do you know? Which side do you choose? This is The Awkward Apocalypse, a deconstruction podcast that examines Christian culture against the authority of scripture. I'm Corey Kuhn, and today is part one of a series I'm doing on fundamentalism. This is the catchy theme song. This is the catchy theme song. Okay, before I jump into this episode, I will say that I mostly speak Liberian English every day, and it doesn't really affect my American English that much, except my pronunciation of T's in the middle of words. So if you hear me say like better or sentence or velocity or something like that, that that's why. Um, I probably won't even notice. So if, if my English sounds a little weird at times, that's probably why. But today I'd like to talk about fundamentalism. fundamentalism. <laughs> I will probably do it with that word. Just turning the T's to D's. It's a weird thing we do in America. Anyway, so to to get us thinking about what is fundamentalism and how do we define it, I want to go back to a Ligonier conference that I attended, I think it was like 10 years ago. I'm sitting at this conference and Stephen Lawson was one of the speakers there. And I can't remember what the lecture was on, but there was one part of the lecture where he was talking about a scientific discovery. And he said, okay, let's imagine a scenario. Let's imagine that scientists discover that without a doubt, they have 100% proof that Mary was not a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. And then he emphatically said, you know what? The scientists are wrong. And the whole room erupted into applause. And at the time I was in college and I was a science major and all that. And so I'm just sitting there kind of like, wait, what? It, it just, it felt like such a weird hill to die on. Like, rather than, guess what? We need to reassess our beliefs because if they found evidence, 100% proof that Mary was not a virgin, maybe it's time to go back to the Bible and see, is the Bible really teaching that Mary was a virgin? You know, I'm not saying it's not. I mean, I think the Bible is pretty clear on that. I don't know how you would prove that Mary wasn't a virgin in the first place. But anyways, let's play into the scenario a little bit. Is that really the appropriate response? Is the appropriate response really to go, nope, the Bible says, and that's it, and I'm not going to consider anything else? Like, that just seems very intellectually unhealthy. And I know I go back to this a lot on this podcast, but I think it's kind of a false dichotomy to say that either the science is right and the Bible's wrong, or the Bible's right and the science is wrong. And it seems like he's kind of presented that false dichotomy. And so he's basically said before he even sees the evidence, before he even reads the research articles, whatever it is, he has said, I have decided, I already believe this and you're not going to change my mind because the Bible says it and that's it. And while there is something, I guess, admirable about that, like being consistent as a Christian, I think at the same time, there's something very dangerous about that. Because what if you're wrong about what the Bible says? In essence, you're sacrificing your intellectual integrity for something that may or may not even be true. And I'm not talking about specifically the virgin birth. I'm just talking about that general attitude. And that's really what I want to talk about today. Because I believe that that attitude is, at its core, what fundamentalism is all about. 
So having said that, what is fundamentalism? Like, where did it come from? Uh, fundamentalism is largely a reaction against modernism. So if we go back several hundred years to the Enlightenment, the Enlightenment is basically where a massive shift in our epistemology happened. It's where a massive shift in our understanding of how do you form knowledge? Like, where does knowledge come from and how do we know what we know? I mean, that's kind of the question of epistemology. How do you know what you know? And before the Enlightenment, the source of knowledge was revelation from God. It was mystical. It was, if you want to know about ultimate reality, if you want to know about purpose, if you want to know about morals, if you want to know about all these metaphysical questions that we're always asking, or if you want to know about where did we come from, if you want to know any of the big questions, whether they're more scientific in nature or more metaphysical in nature, you look to revelation. You look to the gods. You ask them and they will give you the answers. But a major shift happened in the Enlightenment where we kind of left God behind and turned instead to science and reason, experimentation, empiricism, positivism, modernism. All of these sort of came out of this Enlightenment type thought that says we don't need God anymore if we want to know the truth. Instead, we can look to ourselves. We can look to our own abilities, our, our science, our, the industrialization of society. And from there we can learn about the nature of the universe. We can learn about ourselves and we can find truth on our own. We don't need revelation and we don't need God anymore. And so that's the society we currently live in is post enlightenment society that is very much affected by these beliefs. And so for the average American, if you say, how do you know what you know, they're going to appeal most likely to something scientific in nature, some kind of like observational method or experimentation or something like that to define how we acquire knowledge. And Christianity was really caught in the whirlwind of the Enlightenment, and it just branched off in so many directions. And one of those directions that it went that we're going to talk about today is fundamentalism, because fundamentalism is really the rejection of modernism. Now, modernism is pretty much what I've just described. It's the belief in science and reason to lead us to ultimate knowledge. It's the belief that if you really want to know about life or really anything at all. If you have any questions, turn to science and reason, and those are your gods. Those will lead you to happiness. Those will lead you to uh, the truth that you're seeking. And fundamentalism is a massive rejection of that. Fundamentalism goes the opposite direction. And I think one of the best descriptions of modernism, rather than just sitting here and defining it, I'll give you an example of it from history. Now, for those of you who are familiar with Charlie Chaplin, uh, in I think it was the movie The Dictator, he had a speech, and it's considered to be like one of the greatest speeches of all time. And uh, yes, he's acting. And I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, wait, is this real? I was like, this is so epic if it's real. But it's kind of real and kind of not because it's very relevant for the time that he was in uh, because he's giving a speech to soldiers basically about how they need to dismantle the dictatorships of the world. And the context of this is World War II when you had Hitler and Mussolini and all those guys in power. And so it is a very, very powerful speech. 
Um, and within that speech, as he's encouraging the soldiers to prepare themselves to go and fight against the cruelty of the world that they're seeing at that time, he says the following. He says, You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. So do you see there how he connects our ability to use science to advance technology and then assuming that that advancement in technology will necessarily lead to happiness. Which is kind of strange because earlier on in the speech he says, Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. So at the same time, he doesn't really support the creation of machines for happiness. So I, I'm not really sure where, where he lands on this, but that sentence right there, I believe, is a good summary of modernism. It is the belief that our science will lead us to happiness, that the more we advance in science, the greater our happiness will be. And then he says later on in the speech, he says, Let us fight for a world of reason, a world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. And that's actually where he ends the speech. That's kind of his big uh, crescendo at the end is let's fight for a world where science and reason will lead to all men's happiness. And that kind of in a nutshell is modernism. Those, those are very modernistic beliefs. And uh, as you've probably heard, we don't really live in a modernistic time anymore throughout the 50s and 60s, and I would actually say even World War II, just kind of like destroyed that belief because we saw the most advanced societies in the world you know, like engaging in the Holocaust and just doing all these terrible, terrible things. We kind of got sick of modernism. And I think we realized pretty quickly that the farther we advance in our sciences, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be happier. And that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be better people. In fact, we saw the most advanced countries committing some of the worst atrocities on the planet. And so postmodernism kind of was born out of that, which is rather than looking to science and reason to find truth, we look within ourselves and it's kind of like throwing up the white flag on truth and just admitting we can't know. And then rather than looking to science and reason to find the truth, we look within ourselves and it's, it's much more subjective. It's much more based on our own interpretations of reality. And postmodernism, as I've said before, is far more complicated than that. But I think that's kind of its relationship to modernism, like how it's different from modernism. But anyways, I can start geeking out on philosophy and stuff. I love this stuff. You listening, you might not be as interested in this stuff, so I'm not going to dwell on it forever. This episode is kind of just laying out what fundamentalism is. So this one's not going to be the most exciting one, but it's going to be necessary for the episodes I'm doing later on. Um, this will help give you a better understanding and foundation as we move forward and look at what are the effects of fundamentalism and like examine it more closely and have a little bit more fun with it. Uh, today, we, we have to kind of start with the foundation, like what is fundamentalism? So if you understand what modernism is based on that definition, modernism being you know, the heralding of science and reason to help us find truth, then I think you'll understand what fundamentalism is. Fundamentalism is kind of like a pre-enlightenment belief in revelation, in the scriptures to guide us and give us the keys to truth. So whereas modernism was born out of the enlightenment, fundamentalism kind of goes back to before the enlightenment, before the big meanie modernism came along and ruined it for everyone. 
fundamentalists go back to the scripture and they believe in the Bible as the inerrant word of God. The the Bible is the ultimate source of knowledge and everything you want to know about life ultimately is going to go back to scripture. And so if you want to know the answers to our biggest questions, you don't look to science. You look to the Bible and the Bible will give you the answers. And I think in that sense, that is how fundamentalism is most different from modernism or from really our American culture today is they believe science is not going to give you the answers. God will. And so we will look to scripture to find the truth. In addition to that, they also believe in miracles. Uh, specifically concerning the life of Jesus. Those miracles are kind of at the center of fundamentalist beliefs, like the virgin birth of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and then the miracles that he performed. Those are all central to fundamentalist belief. And to reject those usually involves science. People saying, well, we know those miracles can't happen. We know virgins can't give birth. And we know that people can't rise from the dead. And so fundamentalists will come in and say, no, but the Bible says. It's not about what science says. It's about what the Bible says. And so those are fundamentalist beliefs. Uh, They also tend to believe in the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ, which is basically Jesus died for your sins and took the punishment for your sins. That's pretty much what that means. And so, yeah, those are like the basic fundamentalist beliefs. Now, there's much more and they, they branch off into a lot of different categories. And I know it's messier than that, but at its foundation, those are the fundamentals of the fundamentalists. As I'm defining fundamentalism, you might be thinking to yourself about so many different examples of fundamentalists, maybe good, maybe bad. And I'd like to highlight a few examples just to kind of give us a picture of what fundamentalism looks like and then kind of talk about like, where should we fall? When I was at Reformed Theological Seminary, when I was at RTS, uh, I was taught biblical counseling. That was really, really pushed into the curriculum, and that was a big part of my education. Um, And if you're not familiar with it, biblical counseling is a particular belief. Like you have Christian counseling, which is just you use Christianity in your counseling. That is a very broad category. But biblical counseling is a very specific type of counseling. And the basic belief of biblical counseling is you use the Bible as the sufficient word of God in your counseling. And that's kind of the basis of your counseling sessions. And it's based on verses like first Timothy three and uh, what's the other one? Romans 15, where Paul talks about how the Romans are able to counsel one another. And and the other one in first Timothy is where Paul talks about how the scripture is God breathed and it's profitable for teaching and it's sufficient. That's kind of the word, the key word of biblical counseling is that the scripture is sufficient. So that is enough to counsel. And so that's like the basic belief of biblical counseling. So if you come in to a biblical counselor, you're going to get a lot of scripture in your counseling. You're going to get stories and examples. You're going to get proverbs and you're going to get homework that a lot of times has to do with reading certain scriptural text. Um, a lot of the issues within biblical counseling are going to come back to how do you see yourself made in the image of God? How do you find your identity in him? Uh, those are a lot of times the, the take home messages of biblical counseling. And I could do 
one or probably several episodes on my thoughts on biblical counseling because I've read a lot of books because I had to for my education. And I've had friends who have done biblical counseling. I have friends who are biblical counselors. And I don't think it's entirely wrong. But I think this is a good example of fundamentalism. It's going back to the scripture as the word of God and saying, this is what we need. We don't really need science and all those fancy psychologies and things like that. And now to be fair, the way that I was taught biblical counseling was not, you don't need science. You don't need psychology and all those things. Um, but to be a biblical counselor, you don't need to be trained in that stuff. You don't need to be trained in trauma or therapeutic approaches that are based in, you know, what they would call secular science. Now they wouldn't say those things are bad for, from my understanding, most biblical counselors would look at that and say, no, read those books if you want to learn that if you want to, but ultimately your counseling should be centered around the scripture as the word of God. And my purpose in this episode is not to dissect biblical counseling and tell you whether or not I think it's good or, you know, expand my thoughts on it. That would take a lot longer. The reason I bring that up is because I think that is a good example of fundamentalism in action. That is a fundamentalist belief in scripture as the word of God as sufficient for counseling. And Yes, that's going to get a lot of pushback from secular culture because it kind of goes against science. Like a lot, I, I, I can just feel like all of my friends who uh, studied psychology and who, who are counselors that aren't biblical counselors hearing that and just kind of cringing because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's lacking a lot. It's lacking a lot of information in the realm of, like I said, trauma and things like that. But that is a fundamentalist belief. That is a fundamentalist movement. And unfortunately, a lot of times science is kind of seen as like the enemy of fundamentalism. Like a, a lot of fundamentalist Christians will say so-called science. Like they'll, they'll talk about something that science claims and then just kind of like jeer at it and be like, yeah, well, so-called science says we came from monkeys and so-called science. And it's just like so irritating to me to hear that phrase so-called science and i mean maybe i'm biased because i have a science background but i guess what i hear in that is a rejection of science when it contradicts scripture but then a lot of times these same christians will turn around and use science to verify their claims so it's like this weird position where so-called science says we come from monkeys but did you know that science actually supports a global flood? Did you know that science actually confirms that we are living at this many weeks or, or this point of a pregnancy? So therefore the pro-life position is the right one. Like these same Christians will use science when it supports their views, but then throw it away when it contradicts their views and make fun of it. And so it, it's just kind of like this really to me intellectually dishonest position that I often hear fundamentalists taking where they'll only accept science if it supports their views. And it's like, they don't really question the science as long as it supports what they believe. And to me, that's just kind of intellectually dishonest. Um, I see this a lot in young earth creationists, young earth creationists tend to be fundamentalists and the science of young earth creationism <laughs> makes me want to pull my hair out. It is so irritating because it's like these scientific positions that literally nobody would arrive at if it weren't for the Bible. Like if it weren't for their literal interpretation of scripture, 
uh, and the Genesis account, nobody would arrive at these scientific positions. Like there is such a heavy bias playing into the science behind young earth creationism that it's just super frustrating. And I haven't done an episode on evolution. I might do that one day. I just, I don't know what I have to say. That's like interesting or new. Like I try to, if I make an episode, I like for it to be like, Oh cool. I like, I've never thought of it that way. You know, I want you to leave with something special, like something unique. Like I want to offer my unique perspective. A lot of times that comes from my experience on the mission field or my background in science and theology and things like that. Like I try to put it all together and give you something to think about. Uh, if I did an episode on evolution, I would just talk about what I believe and you could find that like in a book, like there's going to be a book that describes what I believe somewhere. And so for that reason, I haven't ever done an episode on evolution. I certainly could, like I have a ton of thoughts on it. And really my Christian life has been from young earth creationist to now I pretty much believe in evolution. And so I don't have like a fully formed belief on it, but when I see young earth creationist, like confidently asserting their science as like evidence for the literal seven day creation of the world, which is like 10,000 years old. I just kind of cringe. And in a lot of ways, I was convinced that young earth creationism was not true, not necessarily by secular science, but by young earth creationists themselves. The more I listened to lectures, the more I dove into the science, the dumber I realized it was like, I just couldn't accept it because I wanted to. I wanted it to affirm what I believed, which was young earth creationism. Uh, that's where I began. And the more I read the science, the more I was like, this is so intellectually dishonest. Like this is not real science. This is, you have decided something is true and then you're looking for evidence to support it. Because to me, the young earth creationist science just doesn't really make that much sense. It doesn't line up with actual science. I don't think, um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to do more research on that, but where I stand right now, I don't take it very seriously. And I see the young earth creationist movement as very fundamentalist. It is going back to a literal interpretation of the word of God of Genesis one. And we see the strongest example of this in something like the scopes trials and the effect that the scopes trials has had on our education system moving forward. And the scope trials were between the fundamentalist and the scientific community and, and the, the more, I guess, secular world. And that dichotomy has trickled down to today where you still have young earth creationists who embrace a literal interpretation of Genesis one and teach that the earth is like whatever, 10,000 years old. And that was a fundamentalist movement. And so that that's just another example of where fundamentalism is within our culture, within American culture. And so as I'm sort of closing out this episode on what fundamentalism is, uh, I want to go back to a moment when I was in college, my roommate came to me and he said, you know what, dude, I just realized I'm a fundamentalist. And I was like, what, what's a fundamentalist? And he described pretty accurately what a fundamentalist was, you know, someone who believed in the word of God, someone who embraced particular fundamental tenets of Christianity. And pretty much what he described was evangelical Christianity. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm a fundamentalist too. And so that leads me to today. Am I still a fundamentalist? Are you? Should you be a fundamentalist if you want to be a Christian? Like, is that the actual correct view of Christianity? And so until next time, I will leave you with that. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you'd like to support the work that we do in Liberia, feel free to visit standingsidebyside.org. If you'd like to make a donation, there's a donate tab on that page, or you can just Venmo at Standing Side by Side Inc. Currently, I am at my friend's house hiding because the election is happening in Liberia, and I have literally nothing to do. I'm at my friend's house, and I am by myself, and it's so quiet, and so I decided to use this time to make some podcast episodes. I have not made a single episode at the other house where I live in the community, and I'm not sure I will be able to make any episodes there. It's loud, people are always at my house, and... I'm pretty exhausted when I'm there. So after this week, I'll be there for a couple months. So probably won't have much new content coming out of there. Um, but I'll try to make like four or five episodes while I'm here at my friend's house and hopefully be posting those in the meantime. So thank you so much for everyone who listens. Uh, thank you for everyone who's reached out to me. And uh, thank you to everyone who has just come alongside me in this journey of deconstruction. If you'd like to reach out to me, uh, if you're listening to this and you'd like to engage, uh, the easiest way to reach me is probably just follow me on Instagram at pod.pancake. That's P-A dot pancake. Uh, and then just send me a message there. Um, thank you so much for listening. Keep the faith.